Some of you are thinking, why did he just do that? <laughs> I realized my microphone was still backstage. I was like, you probably wouldn't hear me very well. And some of you are wondering, like, is that the wrong bald guy? <laughs> yes, not really. Uh, my name is Brian, and I'm the campus pastor at our Jamestown location that meets in Ragsdale High School. And they're watching right now, which is pretty cool to be connected to something bigger. And speaking of Ragsdale High School, I have three kids that attend there. And um, I got a, a soft, or I'm sorry, freshman, junior, and senior. And two of them run cross country. And so last week, I was taking my freshman and junior that run cross country, and I was taking them to track practice. And I had an emotional experience. And some of you have had a, an emotional experience with your kids in school this past week, but I had an emotional experience about nine days ago taking them in my truck because I looked down and I saw the temperature gauge and it said 57 degrees. And I was so happy because, <laughs> because what that told me is that fall is coming. Does that excite anybody? It excites me. I'll tell you, I think fall is one of the greatest seasons of the year. And so I, I wanted to tell you six more reasons why I love fall beyond the cooler temperatures. The first reason I love fall is the coffee. It just tastes better. Am I right? You're holding that warm mug, and it just tastes delicious. And I like my coffee bold and black, and it's just perfect that way. If some of you are like, the PSL is back, and I'm like, nope. But if that's your jam, then good for you. Enjoy it. But uh, coffee is back, coming, coming to you in mugs that make you nice and, and toasty while it's cold outside. And then we have the whole clothes thing. People actually put more clothes on. And some of you are thinking, amen. More clothes on. And I just like it because you can wear sweaters. And some of you like it because it's like yoga pants. And it's not maybe my, my thing, but I want to be all-inclusive so there you go. I like the clothes and the fact that people are wearing more of them. And then there's a the whole bugs thing. I hate bugs. And in the fall, there are less bugs than summer with their horrible, disgusting faces that come in and want to bite you and sometimes suck your blood. I mean, like, why, why wouldn't we be happy about that? I'm thrilled about that because bugs are awful and they serve their purpose but I like it when there are less of them. And then you got the leaves. If you, if you head up Interstate 40 or, or, or 52, you get to see the leaves and there are these amazing splashes of color all around us. It's like artwork everywhere. And that just doesn't happen the same way in the summertime. And then you have school. The kids go back to school and, and you get back in a regular rhythm. And I like rhythm, I like structure. And so we, we know what to expect, and things are usually somewhat predictable. And it's great because kids get to see their friends. I mean, if you're a student, you're like, yeah, I got to see my friends this past week. It was great. Of course, if you're homeschooled, maybe that doesn't apply to you because you see your parents. Um, but I have a homeschooler in middle school, so I can make those jokes. And uh, you, maybe you won't be too offended. But, but, but the, see, here's the last, the last thing, but the best, I say the best for last year. My favorite thing about fall, many of you experienced this yesterday, is football. <laughs> football is back, and I love college football. And I, I, the thing I like about college football is people get crazy about it. Am I right? People get crazy. 
There's passion behind it. There's strategy behind it. We, we love an upset. Some of you are locked into App State and Penn State yesterday, and you're just hoping, and I was hoping and paying attention to games that we normally don't pay attention to, but it's like we were locked in because we thought maybe it would happen, and, and, and it almost did. And it almost does, and then it does, and it does happen. And then we think we have the traditions, and, the, and you have your family traditions, and you have your game day traditions. I love college football. And so I thought today we would tap into your feelings about some of our state's college football teams. So what I'm inviting you to do is I'm inviting you to respond with a thumbs up when I, when I put on a cap of one of the teams, a thumbs down. Or I don't care. So thumbs up, thumbs down, don't care. If you're watching in Oak Ridge or Jamestown or online, play along. You can shout. You can boo. I like the boos. You can shout. You can boo. You can do, do whatever you want to express your disgust or your delight. So I'm not going to hold back now. I'm going to reach into my box of tricks here. And I'm going to start with uh, this team. Okay, that was tepid. I look like a 10-year-old boy. (laughs) 10-year-old boy. That's what I'm going for here. All right, we'll see if this brings a little bit more reaction. I now look like a trucker. All right. Very nice, very nice. That That was a little bit more enthusiastic. Now, this next one, I have never actually done what I'm about to do. And uh, I've asked people not to put this on social media, but I think it might happen because I just said that. So um, this is, actually did this for the first time this past Thursday. Okay. I gotta do that one more time. This last one, I'm gonna save the best for last. Would you be okay if I did this for the rest of the time before this? No, okay, okay. All right, yeah, I don't want you to leave. That's not worth it. So you all have opinions. Some of you don't care, but there is a lot of opinions here. Some of them are involving delight uh, when it comes to the college football teams. Some involve disgust. And if you were disgusted by anything I put on my head, your disgust reflex was triggered. And we all have one. For instance, if you were to right now, if you were to, if you were to swallow the saliva in your mouth, you'd kind of be like, oh, that's a little bit weird that he brought that up. I wasn't thinking about the saliva in my mouth, but you, you would think that was kind of weird. Now, if I were to spit in this cup here with the saliva that's in my mouth. Ooh, snaky. And I were to drink it. Some of you would say you had been triggered by your disgust reflex. Now, we have other things that trigger our disgust reflexes. When we see a cockroach, when we think about lice, when we think about ticks, you know, bugs. I hate bugs. You just, any category, mosquitoes. Again, horrible faces, ugly. Or you think about animals like mice or snakes the disgust reflex can be triggered. And then you think about bad smells. I'm a smells guy. Rotten meat. 
Some of your faces contort. Feces. I, I, believe me, I'm going somewhere with this. <laughs> Vomit. I mean, you, your sense of imagination can tie to that sense of smell. And then uh, to top it off, the worst smell that maybe the worst smell I've ever, ever experienced is also here in my box. And I've got to share it with you, but I have tongs to get it out. So I've got to dig my tongs out. Here, here they are. Don't you love a good set of tongs? Very purposeful. And it's, it's these. <laughs> now, this is very serious. If you play soccer and you have been wearing these, you should never take them off in a vehicle <laughs> because you will damage the smell of the people in that car permanently. Shin guards can be toxic. I don't know what it is about shin sweat getting trapped in these things, but horrific. So anyway, shin guards trigger the reflex. Now, my wife has a very specific one, and some of you may share it. It's when people smack. She will actually, I'll watch her take her shoulder toward her ear and cringe, especially if they chew gum like a horse eats oats, like, And, I, and it's kind of funny for me when I see other people doing it and they don't realize they're doing it and I just laugh. But then I have one. It's when people chew the, their fingernails or the skin on their fingernails and, and they, you hear that little chatter, that click noise. That And, and then, and then they, let's say they're successful. What's the end game there? Like, are you going to eat it? Are you going to swallow it? Are you going to wipe it on your pants? Are you going to flick it? Like, Exactly. Oh, you feel me. I appreciate that. And, and some people, I mean, it's just, this, they don't even think about it, but it triggers my disgust reflex. And see, this, this morning, all of your disgust reflexes have probably been triggered on some level. And that's a very normal and natural thing. And sometimes it's a good thing. But let me say this about a disgust reflex. A disgust reflex can be very harmful. And it can be very harmful when it's applied to people. A disgust reflex can be harmful when it's applied to people. And you know what I'm talking about. Those people, you've got them in your mind. The way they act, what they believe, what they post in social media. And maybe you would, in your mind, you may, maybe wouldn't say this out loud, but it's, it's what their skin color is. It's something about what they uh, do on a daily basis at work, and it's just something that you're just disgusted by them, and you can think about them right now. you got them in your mind. And the thing is, it becomes harmful, and a lot of times when it comes to the, the disgust reflex being applied to people and maybe specific people, those people that are in your head, we, we think we can compartmentalize it. We think we can just apply it to those people. But the thing is, life is connected. Our past is connected to our present, and our present is connected to our future. And so as much as I want to say, hey, I'm just disgusted by them, it has a spillover effect because life is connected. And, and what I'm really excited about today is how we can talk about moving past those barriers of disgust. Because a reflex, 
that reflex of disgust directed toward people is harmful. And we're going to do this by looking at a story about Jesus. And Jesus is incredible. If you ever have a chance to read about Jesus in, in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, incredible, incredible to read because Jesus was an incredible guy. He, he was unconventional. He did things that we did not expect. And so we're going to be picking up the story of Jesus in John chapter 4 in just a few moments. And I want to give you a little bit of what's happening prior to where we're going to pick it up. But Jesus is going to go home. He's going to go home to his hometown. And right, right in this part of the story, he's in a place called Judea. And he's been doing ministry in Judea. And he's about to go home to a place called Galilee. And you would think, well, that's no big deal. He just needs to go from Judea to Galilee. But the problem was Samaria was in between the two, Judea in the south, Samaria in the middle, and then Galilee in the north. And the problem is Jesus was Jewish, and Jewish people hated Samaritan people. That was just the thing. It was those people. They were the ones that would be disgusting to Jews. And they hated them so much that Jewish people would go around Samaria to avoid an encounter with a Samaritan. Jesus did not operate that way. But the question I have for you is, how much would you have to have a disdain for someone or have a disgust for someone for you to go the long way home? I think it'd have to be pretty strong. My mom lives in Atlanta. We, we, we have to go see her because she's my mama. And we go and we, we drive down the nightmare of Interstate 85 to go do that. And some of you are like, oh, I know what you're talking about. And sometimes we look at our, our Waze app or we look at Google Maps and it says, go 77 or go 321, whether we're coming or going. But I'm trying to find the most direct route home. And I think what this tells you about the Jewish people how they, and how they felt about the Samaritans, for them to go the long way means there is an awful lot of disgust. And so we have Jesus saying, nope, we're going directly through Samaria here in John chapter 4. And they've probably traveled about six hours, probably left early that morning, traveled around six hours. They're tired, they're hungry, and they're thirsty. And so in John chapter 4, verse 7, Jesus has sent the disciples into town, and he sits down by a well, and a Samaritan woman comes to draw water. And Jesus said, Please give me a drink. Now, we would think that's a normal request. He's thirsty. She's coming to get water. Humanity, right? We, we would want to help that person. But he culturally is not supposed to do that. He's, he shouldn't even be talking to her. And so Jesus is like breaking right through that social barrier. And then she responds to illustrate this. The woman was surprised. Why? For Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. See, Jesus, by even talking to her, is running right through the, the racial barrier of disgust. He just plows right through it. And she said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Jesus is also plowing through the gender barrier. And in a way that maybe we don't clearly see, but he's clearly doing it, raising the value of women. Jesus was extraordinarily progressive when it came to how he values women. 
in an age where so often in the first century they were put down and, and held back, Jesus elevates women. And that's one of the things I love about Jesus. Blowing through the racial barrier. Blowing through the gender barrier. She says, why are you asking me for a drink? And then we pick it up here in verse 10. He, he says, if you only knew the gift God has for you, if you only knew the potential that God sees in you and who you were speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But she's confused by this statement and responds this way. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. You, what, what can you give me? You don't have a rope or a bucket. Like it's cool that you're breaking down these barriers and that we're having a conversation, but you don't have the means to give me water that you say I need. And this well is very deep. Where did you get this living water? They continue in this interchange. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. So her response, she's thinking like this is some special LaCroix. But she says, please, sir, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water. She's still thinking in the physical realm. And Jesus is trying to break down the spiritual barrier that exists between her and God. And so then it gets a little bit awkward. Jesus goes level 10. He goes in a place that probably not many people would go. And he says, go and get your husband. And she replies, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, you're, you're right. You don't have a husband. He said, you have had five husbands. Awkward. And you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke. The truth. Do you hear that? Silence. It got awkward. And Jesus blew through that spiritual barrier, addressing her sin. Clearly, he, he's accepted her by breaking down the the, the racial and the, and the gender barriers. But now he's trying to break down the spiritual barrier by speaking directly into your sin, embodying the perfect balance of grace and truth. And he sees her as so much more than she's living because in that culture, she would have been seen as trash. She would have been seen as washed up. She would have been seen in so many negative lights because of her sexual promiscuity. People have been like, gross, she's trash. She's rubbish, stay away from her. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I see so much more, but we need to address this spiritual barrier. You are not disgusting to me. And so we pick it up in verse 19. The woman said, sir, you must be a prophet. Like you, you've never met me before, but you're pointing out things that you shouldn't know. And she was right to recognize that he had a supernatural ability to see more. But she still doesn't completely get it. 
And then they have this interchange and then it continues in verse 26. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. The one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Jaw dropping moment. I can't imagine what she was feeling on the inside probably got quite, quite a bit of hope because here he is having a conversation with her and he's revealed things to her that no one else should know. And, and, and so she's having this draw, dropping moment and then something funny happens. You ever have life where it's really like serious and then it gets funny? Verse 27 is an example that God has a sense of humor. Check it out. Just then his disciples came back. Remember, Jews are supposed to hate Samaritans. And Jesus is talking to a Samaritan, not only a Samaritan, but a Samaritan woman. And his guys come back and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? They were a bunch of big babies. They're like, well, we're not going to say anything. It's Jesus. But I can imagine this being kind of a, a funny yet awkward moment. And then we see her response in verse 28, the woman left her water jar beside the well and she ran back to the village telling everyone. I want to stay right there for a second. She left her past symbolically behind and went running because her priorities had changed and she had a brand new boldness that she didn't possess before because she had encountered Jesus, who didn't see her as disgusting, but as valuable. And then we see what happens as a result. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. The people came in numbers and in droves because they saw something in her that was uncommon, that was extraordinary. For a woman that had a bad reputation, this would have been groundbreaking. And then many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because a woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. And then check out what happens in verse 40 and 41. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. He stayed for two more days, long enough for many more people to hear his message and believe. And then it finishes this way. They said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. And what we see here is the power of pushing past Social barriers of, gender, of racial barriers, gender barriers, and spiritual barriers. Pushing past the disgust that should be in place. And say, saying to someone, you have value. Jesus did that. That's how we move past these barriers. Ultimately, the idea here is to build bridges, not barriers. To build bridges, not barriers. Because see, 2,000 years later, we deal with the same barriers, am I right? We deal with the same barriers. 
We see it all the time in our news. I hear about it happening at, at school. Racial barriers, gender barriers. I hear people making derogatory statements about girls all the time. You play like a girl. I hate that statement, y'all. Having two daughters, I can't stand it. It's derogatory. I wish we would take that phrase out of our, out of our lingo. But Jesus busted down those barriers. And we can do it too by building bridges, not barriers. And see, in this, this series of Church is Not Enough, We've been talking about steps and next steps. Pastor Jonathan has done a great job of laying out several steps. And today, today's step is all about taking that next step and sharing your story or spreading the word of God to other people because people are valuable. Moving past the barriers I've discussed to building bridges. So how do we go about doing that? The first way we do that is acceptance. Acceptance. What I love about acceptance is that acceptance paves the way to influence. If you accept me, you're probably going to get the right to influence me. If you reject me, probably not. And I think about this with Jesus and the Samaritan woman. He accepted her where she was, but he didn't agree with her sin. See, acceptance and agreement aren't the same thing. He accepted her where she was, but he didn't affirm her sin. Acceptance and affirmation are not the same thing. And in our culture, we get that confused. Christians have not handled this very well. But here's the deal. You accept people that you don't agree with, and you don't affirm their lifestyle all the time. Look around at your family. Got anybody in your family you disagree with? But you still accept them. They're your family. Or friends that you see eye to eye on with everything? There's no one person you see eye to eye on with everything. But you still accept them. Acceptance, it's the, it's, the, it's the base level of building a bridge, not a barrier. The second thing is sharing your story. Sharing your story. I have thoroughly loved hearing different stories throughout this series of people's journey. Last week, you may have heard Denise Bowie's story, our guest services director in Jamestown. Wasn't that incredible? If you haven't had a chance to see it, you you could go to one of our our digital channels, social media. You'll find it out there because so many people have shared it. But one of the things I really loved about Denise's story is her vulnerability. She's she's not telling her story to try to impress you. She's been through so much. And yet the thing is, if you ask her, and I did ask her, I was like, how, is it, how was it last week with, with sharing your story via the video? She said, so many people have come up to me and said, I can't believe you've been through all that and you're so happy. And she said, well, let's not forget who gets the credit. It's Jesus. I love that about Denise, being vulnerable, not just trying to impress. One of the ways you can share your story, we've talked about this quite often at the Summit Church, is you can share your God story. You can share your God story by asking these questions. What is one way to describe my life before I met Jesus? And and, and, and literally write down a word that primarily describes that. The second one is, what is one way to describe my life when I met Jesus? Write down one word. And the last question is, what is my life like now? What is one word that I would use to describe my life now? 
Write that word down. And the reason we, we share this with you is to give you hooks of before and the time you met Jesus and then now to be able to share your story with those four words. Share your story. It's a way that you can build bridges, not barriers. And then if you say, hey, I'm not ready to quite do that yet, you can invest relationally in somebody and invite them to attend one of our environments, whether it's online, whether it's in Oak Ridge, or whether it's in Jamestown, or in Kernersville. And, and I do this with people all the time. And, and one of the things that I will actually tell them is if you attend, I will buy you lunch to hear about your experience because people like food and people like to eat and you can bribe them and that's okay. You can say, my pastor told me to do this. Do it. I dare you. Invest in a Bible. People will oftentimes take you up on it. So you can come in and, and, and critique what we do. Tell me what, what you do better. It can be powerful when you take the time to do that. Let me just do something with us right, right now. When I do baptisms, I ask people, how many of you were invited to the Summit Church by somebody? Or how, how did you come to the Summit Church for the very first time? I would say 90% or more say someone invited me. Now, if you would just participate with me for a second, would you raise your hand if you were invited by somebody who uh, invited by somebody to attend the Summit Church? Okay, some of you will never raise your hand no matter what I say. But if you were to look around when I had asked for that, wherever you are, you would have seen a lot of hands. There's power in an invitation, in building bridges and breaking down barriers. And this last one is share on social media. Share on social media. Social media kind of makes me giggle because there's so much negative out there, right? I should be able to people say, I don't do social media. It's just so negative, so negative. And, and I would agree with you. There's still a lot of negative out there, but there's a lot of good out there too. Leverage your social media to build bridges, not, not barriers of disgust. How, how could you make a difference if you decide, you know what, this year, for the rest of this year, I'm going to leverage every social media post to point people to Jesus. How many people might come streaming to him? You have power with your social media. We actually had someone in Jamestown, they checked in on Facebook and they had a friend come later that day and I said, well, what brought you here for the first time? And they're like, well, my friend checked in on Facebook. They, they were here, so I thought, oh, it might be an okay a church for me to attend. That's leveraging the 167 hours outside of this one to make a difference and to build a bridge, not a barrier. Now, I wanna finish our time talking about a hammer because all of us are like a hammer and I have one in my bag here, my box. This is my Husky hammer. I like it a lot. Hammer is a very useful tool and our lives are like a hammer because we can use our lives to build bridges toward people and construct bridges and be constructive. But we can also use a hammer to build up barriers. And you've got your own barriers of disgust that keep people away. And you can be really destructive with a hammer. My challenge for you is to use your life to build a bridge not a barrier. Build a bridge, not a barrier. Why? Because bridges are so much better
than barriers. And what we all know is that we're going to live beyond this life, or at least I would say there, most of us would agree that there's life beyond this life. And in 100 years from now, we're not going to really care about who won what game. We're not going to care about the color of someone's skin. We're not going to care about what someone else believed differently from us. We're not going to care about the little disgusting habits that bother us. We're going to care about our relationship with God because it's the only thing that's going to matter in 100 years. So if that's the case, why don't we begin with the end in mind and structure our lives and build our lives around building bridges, not barriers of disgust, just like Jesus did with the Samaritan woman and saw many, many people come to Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to learn from Jesus, the great, greatest teacher of all time, and how he handled and interacted with people, how he blew through the social barriers of race and gender, and most importantly, the spiritual barrier. We thank you that Jesus went to a cross to give his life. He was nailed to a cross that the very instrument we're even talking about now with this hammer, he was nailed to a cross by a hammer that ended up being the greatest bridge of all time to all mankind. And I would pray for our people to take their next step with this one, with this Church is Not Enough series to share their faith, to share their story in the 167. Building bridges, not barriers. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.